was in my early 20s, I had a friend named Andy, still my friend, but when I was in my early 20s, I had a friend named Andy, and he was a few years older than I was, and he had his own house, which was a very cool thing to have a friend who had his own house at the time, and a bunch of my friends and I, we would go over to Andy's house, and we would play the original Halo on Xbox, video games, uh, till our eyes bled. Like, we would play for hours and hours and hours, and we would do it all while just completely shoveling in the most insane amount of junk food you can imagine. We're talking spicy nacho Doritos and Mountain Dew and candy and cookies, and we would just all, all night just, like, be playing and, and eating and all that stuff. And, it, and I remember vividly, there was one moment I was driving home that one night from Andy's house uh, in a caffeine and sugar-fueled haze, right, barely able to keep my eyes open, and I saw this weird glow on the horizon, and I was freaked out. I was like, is that a bomb? Is that a, is that, what is that, a, some sort of fire in the distance? And then I, oh no, it's the sunrise. It was the sunrise <laughs> that I was seeing as I was driving home that night, so to speak. So you can get the, you get the picture. This was how I lived. And guys, at the time, I thought that it was the best thing for me. I thought that it was incredible. I thought I was doing exactly what I wanted. Uh, you know, and I was. I, I was. I was having fun. I was an adult now. I could do what I wanted, right? That, that's, that was my mentality as I was going night after night <laughs> back over to Andy's house every weekend. I was, I was like a zombie throughout the week and all so that I could get back to Andy's house to play video games. Well, in the years since then, since my early 20s, Let's just say I've experienced another kind of life, another lifestyle choice where I'm a little more active, I eat better, I I sleep better, I spend time outdoors. And more than that, where I, I, I spend my days doing things for purposes beyond myself, purposes beyond my own comfort and my own pleasure or whatever. Having experienced all of that, that kind of new style of life, I don't really want to go back to the way that it was before. Now, don't get me wrong. I still play video games. Uh, I'm still, I'm playing the newest Halo right now, but I'm not playing it all night till the sun comes up. I I still love spicy nacho Doritos, although I don't drink Mountain Dew almost any, uh, anymore. But, you know, you get the idea. I'm still like, I still enjoy some of those things, but I'm not a zombie like I used to be. I was a zombie before. When I was in it, when I was in the middle of that season of my life, I didn't know what I was missing. I didn't realize what I was missing, but now I know that this is the life that I want. I tell you all that as a kind of parable, maybe, or a metaphor, uh, because if, you, if we look around at our community, or if we look at our own lives, I think many of us would argue, or maybe would agree, that a lot of us are living kind of like zombies in our own way. Maybe it's not video games and Mountain Dew, but so many of us are going through our days in a haze, a haze of self. We, we live in a way that we do whatever we want, whatever feels good. We, we work ourselves to the bone for another dollar because we want to make more money. We, we self-medicate because our work is exhausting. Uh, we buy a bunch of stuff that we don't need to try and make ourselves happy. We, we live for ourselves day after day after day, and we think we think this is what's best for us because we're doing what we want, right? We all have our own version of Andy's house. And in fact, take a second. What is your Andy's house? Think about it. What's your, what is it that you go to that keeps you in that zombie haze rather than living the life that you really want to live? What's your Andy's house? 
Well, today, what I want to, excuse me, what I want to talk about is the fact that life can be different than that. Because if we're honest, every one of us, at some point, as we're walking around like zombies, we have these little brief moments of clarity. For me, it was driving home, seeing the sunrise, these moments where you think, there's got to be more to life than this. Right? There's got to be more than this. But then inevitably, what happens is that moment fades, and we go right on back to Andy's house. So that's the pattern that so many of us live in. I've been in it. You've been in it. I want to talk about what it looks like to break that pattern. What does it look like to begin living the life that really can be yours? And how, does you, how do you go about doing that? That's what we're going to talk about today. This is the third week of our series looking at the rather provocative gospel of John. Uh, as we've shared already, there is no gray area in John. You, you basically, you're in or out. I mean, he talks in terms of light and dark, life and death, and you got to choose. Do you believe it? That's, that's kind of the, the operating word for this gospel. It's a pretty provocative book. And today what we're going to do is we're going to learn from Jesus himself that there is more to life than this. That nagging feeling that there must be more, there is more, and Jesus wants us to see it. The question is, do we believe it enough? Do we believe him enough to actually try living it. Okay? So please turn with me to John chapter 3, where Jesus talks about the true life that can be ours. John 3, it'll be page 751 in the House Bibles. Uh, real quick, while you're turning there, I just want to remind you something I shared a couple weeks ago. Coming up on March 21st, I am going to be teaching a four-week class on Monday nights called a Bible Class for Bible Skeptics. And the whole point of this class is to just have some honest conversations, talk head, you know, approach head on some of the biggest critiques that people often have for, about the Bible. Uh, it's misogynistic. It's written a really long time ago. God seems angry in the Old Testament. What do we do about that? It, are there errors in the Bible? Like the things that people criticize the Bible for. And rather than trying to like, I don't know, be apologetic and disprove all of those things, I want to approach them head on and say, that I've found a path through my skepticism to a place of great faith and joy with Scripture, and I want to share that path with you in case you or someone that you know or love is a skeptic. Okay, that's coming up, gracechurch.us slash skeptic. Um, now, let me, uh, before we read, I want to pray, and then we'll, we'll read this passage. Father God, would you soften our hearts this morning? Would you open our minds would your Holy Spirit speak clearly so that we can be transformed? I pray in these moments, as we look at the Gospel of John, that I would disappear and that your Holy Spirit would remain. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. All right, so John 3. Uh, we're going to read what is the first big teaching segment of Jesus as he begins teaching his perspective on the world. And he's going to be speaking to a man named Nicodemus. Let's read this. There was a man named Nicodemus, a Jewish religious leader who was a Pharisee, like a re religious holy guy. After dark one evening, he came to speak with Jesus. Rabbi, he said, we all know that God has sent you to teach us. Your miraculous signs are evidence that God is with you. Jesus replied, I tell you the truth. Unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. What do you mean? exclaimed Nicodemus. How can an old man go back into his mother's womb and be born again? And Jesus replied, I assure you, 
No one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and the Spirit. Humans can reproduce only human life, but the Holy Spirit gives birth to spiritual life. So don't be surprised when I say, you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it wants. Just as you can hear the wind, but you can't tell where it comes from or where it's going, so you can't explain how people are born of the Spirit. All right, so we'll stop there for a second. Jesus starts off by telling Nicodemus, you got to be born again, born again, uh, to enter into the kingdom of God. That's, that's what has to happen. And now just a quick little note. In Greek, that you is plural. So he's speaking to Nicodemus, but he's saying you all, y'all need to be born again, right? This is for everyone. Now, Nicodemus, he gets real hung up on this idea of being born again. He's like, you, you can't crawl back up into your mother's womb, can you? First of all, gross, Nicodemus. No, obviously, obviously not. What Jesus is getting at here, though, is that a human birth, just, just existing the way that we all do, being alive, is not enough to experience the kingdom of God, to experience God's rule and reign. Or in other words, as, as we'll see in a moment, it's not enough to experience true life. No, something more has to happen. If we're going to try to experience uh, true life, something beyond us has to happen to us for us to truly live. Something that Jesus calls spiritual birth, being born again. Now, now this phrase in verse 5 about being born of water and the Spirit, look, there is so much debate on exactly what that means. I'm not going to bore you with it all. If you are interested, I put a very long fun fact in the app notes, the Grace app notes, if you're curious. Suffice it to say, I'm just going to boil it down and say, regardless of what it actually means, what specifically it means, what Jesus is getting at is that if we want to experience true life in God, it's going to require a new beginning, a new birth, which has its roots in God's spirit, not just in human endeavors. So bottom line, true life, true life requires a new beginning. Okay? So that's how he starts. Let's, uh, let's keep reading. Look at verse 9. So Nicodemus asks, how are these things possible? And Jesus replied, you are a respected Jewish teacher and you don't understand these things? I assure you, we tell you what we know and have seen, and yet you won't believe our testimony. But if you don't believe me when I tell you about earthly things, how can you possibly believe if I tell you about heavenly things? No one has ever gone to heaven and returned, but the Son of Man has come down from heaven. And as Moses lifted up the bronze snake on a pole in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, so that everyone who believes in him will have eternal life. Okay, again, let's stop, because what is Jesus talking about here? Right? A moment ago, he's talking about uh, spiritual birth and, and the Holy Spirit, and now all of a sudden he's talking about Moses and snakes on a pole and the Son of Man. There's a lot of, lot of lingo that probably goes over our heads a little bit. So I want to stop right there and see if we can understand what Jesus is, is saying. Because all this, this imagery, it seems really odd until you understand what Jesus is getting at. You see, Jesus was a Bible nerd, all right? And I, I mean that in a positive way. He knew the Hebrew Bible like the back of his hand. He understood the Old Testament, and it was, it was very important to him. Okay? So he's a Bible nerd, and what he's doing here is he is, in a 
really powerful way, he is drawing together threads from a whole bunch of different Old Testament uh, passages and ideas to, to produce a really compelling image for us to chew on. So I want to try to do this. I want to explain what I believe Jesus is getting at here and give you a bit more context looking at some of these, some of these odd choices of words. Okay, first of all, for example, the Son of Man— the Son of Man. Uh, he refers to himself as the Son of Man. Now, this is an, from an apocalyptic prophecy in Daniel 7. You could look it up if you're curious, but uh, Daniel 7 was really important to Jesus. He refers to himself as the Son of Man more than any other title. That's what he thinks of as his title, his purpose. And so if you go back and look at Daniel 7, what you see is this vision of these terrifying beasts that are roaming the earth, these, these, uh, these awful, vicious beasts, and they represent corrupt human nations and injustice and violence and, and, and sin, and they are ruling over the earth until, as it says in Daniel 7, one like a son of man, one like a human, appears and he's able to ascend up into the presence of God and actually sit at God's right hand to, to establish his kingdom on the earth. And so this son of man, he, he defeats these monsters of sin and death and chaos and he establishes God's kingdom on the earth. And that, that vision, it became kind of a, a shorthand way of talking about what the people of Israel were hoping for, for this son of man to appear. This was their, their Messiah they were longing for. And that's what Jesus refers to himself as. He was that son of man from that vision. So, okay, file that away. That's one image that he goes to. The next thing he says is something about a snake on a pole. What is that? What does that have to do with anything? In the book of Numbers, there's a story, this narrative, where the Israelites are in the wilderness, and they're, they're being bitten and, and, frankly, killed by these poisonous snakes. And so God says this to Moses. He says, make a poisonous serpent, like a, a statue of a serpent, and set it on a pole, and everyone who is bitten shall look at it and live. And that's what happens in the story. If any of them got bitten by these poisonous snakes, they could look up at this bronze serpent, and they'd live. They'd find life. So, okay, that's, that's image two, right? That looking up at the serpent to find healing and life. All right, you with me? There's one more. Jesus references being the Son of Man being lifted up. Now, this one's a bit more subtle. You probably don't immediately think, oh, he's referencing Old Testament, but he is. He is. Um, this, this phrase, lifted up, he actually uses this a lot in John's Gospel. It shows up several different times. Um, again, it's a bit more subtle, but it's referencing a passage in the Old Testament that everybody in Jesus' day would have been familiar with. Uh, it's from the, the book of Isaiah. It's a prophecy about a servant who suffers on behalf of the people. He, he suffers even though he's done nothing wrong, um, but he, he essentially pays the penalty for the, the sins of, of the people. And through his own sacrifice, this suffering servant, he rescues the people from their sin. And so then, this is what God says about him. He says, see, my servant shall prosper. He shall be exalted and lifted up and shall be very high. He shall be lifted up. He's lifted up because of his sacrifice. But in John, Jesus is, is bringing these two ideas together. The lifting up on the cross, that is the sacrifice, but according to Jesus and John, this is also his exaltation. It's the fulfillment of Isaiah's prophecy that, that uh, the, this suffering servant is being lifted up. 
Jesus is that suffering servant from Isaiah. He is bearing the the sins of the people to rescue them from sin. All right, so you got these three very disparate images. Think about how Jesus is drawing them all together here, because it's really profound. I think it's really amazing. Uh, You got this image, right? Put these together. Humanity is under the thumb of terrifying beasts of injustice and pain and death, right? We are being bitten by poisonous serpents of sin, but the Son of Man is coming to be lifted, to bring life, right? To defeat all these terrifying beasts with God's authority. He's sitting at God's right hand. But how is he going to do it? How is the Son of Man going to defeat these, these beasts and establish his kingdom? Not through power, not through might, but through self-sacrifice. By being lifted up like the suffering servant. By paying the price for humanity's sin in himself. When we are are bitten by the serpent of sin, when the poison of death is coursing through our veins, when we're wandering around in a haze of self, we can look up. We can look up at him. We can believe in him, the son of man lifted up for us and what he did for us, and we can find life. We could find life. True life, guys, requires a new beginning, and that new beginning requires belief. Belief. Look up. Now, I want to be clear. When I say belief, I'm not talking about uh, agreement with a list of theological facts. That's not what belief is here. No, for John, belief, and for Jesus, belief is is a trust. It's a, a willingness to trust that, yes, there is more to life than this. And by looking up, we trust that, that the sacrifice of Jesus on that cross is something that we can, can look to to discover the key to what life can truly be. That's what life can truly be. So that's where our rebirth begins. That, that, that uh, being born again, it starts by looking up and trusting in what this suffering servant, the Son of Man, did for us. That's what Jesus is claiming here. And I know that's a lot, okay? That's a lot to wrap your mind around. That's the thing that, is, that I love the most about the Bible is that you gotta like chew on it and, and have a couple of cups of tea and think about it and have conversations about it because this stuff is deep, right? I hope you'll have a chance to, to process some of these images together after the fact. But that's what Jesus is getting at here. He's, he's bringing all these images to bear so that we've got this mental image when he says what is the famous most famous uh, Bible passage of all time, John three sixteen. So let's read that together and, uh, and figure out if we can answer the question of what can life actually be? If there's more to life than this, then what is the alternative? So here we go. The most famous passage in the Bible with all that context behind it. For this is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. God sent his son into the world, not to judge the world, but to save the world through him. Okay, there it is. That's John 3.16. Let's dig into this verse for a moment. Uh, We quote it all the time, but what what does it actually mean? First of all, I think it's worth pointing out how rather shocking it is to see the love of God is so strong that he's willing to to put the well-being of humanity above the well-being of his son, 
right? The, ver- the, the word there is that he gave his one and only son. It, it, later it says that he sent him, but this is different. Not just sending, but giving. He gave his son, the, he, he gave Christ over to death, to sacrifice. That's how much, that's how great he loved humanity, right? That's profound. That right there, we could stop. But, but why did he give his son? What, what, did, what was the purpose of that giving? Well, the purpose was so that we would not perish, perish. But what does that mean? Well, in Greek, the word perish is uh, apalumi. Apalumi is a Greek word that has a whole range of meanings. You can see some of them there. Uh, Apalumi, it's everything from destruction to death to loss to uh, the downfall of a nation. It has a whole bunch of meanings. For example, uh, when the prodigal son, in that, that parable, when the prodigal son returns, the father says, my son was apalumi, was lost, but now he's found. Uh, another example, when there's a storm on the Sea of Galilee and the, the, the disciples and Jesus are in a boat, the disciples are terrified. They say, Master, we are apalumi. We're, we're ruined, right? We're finished. We're perishing. The word apalumi is even used, interestingly, to describe wine or bread that's gone bad. Okay, like you can imagine a, a moldy loaf of bread. It is apalumi. It is wasted. It's ruined. It is perished. Now, I tell you all of this because there are other words in Greek to describe just death, right? Dying uh, like a normal death. That's, that, there are words that you could use to describe that, but that's not what Jesus uses here. Apalumi, the way I look at it, apalumi talks about death, but it talks about the death of potential, the death of what might have been. A nation that might have endured, a palumi. A son that might not have left home. A loaf of bread that might have actually been enjoyed, right? You see, God gave his son so that we might not a palumi, so that we might not perish. Yes, it's about death. It's about the fact that we are destined for the grave, but it is more than just death physically. It's about the death of who we are meant to be. He wants to save us from that, Back when I was spending all my time over at Andy's house, eating junk food, addicted to video games, I was Apollo me. I was perishing because there was more to life than that. There was health, there was adventure, there was purpose, and I was missing it, right? I was perishing. This concept, it goes to the very core of who we are because when we spend our lives obsessed with ourselves, right? With our, with our needs and our desires and our comfort and our wealth, we are perishing. We are perishing. We are being trampled on by the beasts of our world, and we are allowing sin to poison us like the bite of a venomous snake. This is not who we are meant to be. And what are we meant to be? What are we meant for? Well, we are meant for what Jesus calls eternal life, eternal life. Now, I want to be clear. Eternal life, it does not just mean living a super long time. Uh, I love the way N.T. Wright puts it, the, the New Testament scholar. He, he says eternal life is life of the age to come, life of the age to come. Now, yes, it's endless. There's no end to this kind of life. It is life after death, but more than just that, it's a kind of life that is purposeful. Life beyond ourselves, right? It, it's, a, it's a new creation kind of life, an Eden kind of life where there's abundance and 
and, and, and peace, and it's overflowing. It's a kind of life that brings life to others. It's the life that we, that every one of us was created to live. And it's the kind of life that is lost when we are perishing, when we are in the bottomless pit of sin and the spiral of self, when we are, are dying to our potential, that's what we lose. But because of the sacrifice of Jesus, it is a life that is now possible again. We can be reborn We can be made new. The moldy loaf can become fresh again. The prodigal son can be welcomed home again. The disciple's savior can make the sea calm again. Apollomi is never the end of the story. Those of us who are trapped in the haze of self, in the purposeless wandering of life, in the addictions and the shame and the brokenness of sin, we can be made new We can have eternal life from perishing, from lost potential to the life of the age to come, now and forever. This is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. So let's just talk for a moment about how. How do you experience this new life, this rebirth? Well, Jesus has already told us the mechanics of this. The answer is to believe in him. But what does that that mean? What does it look like? Well, like I said before, belief is is not just a mental assent. It It is a trust. It is a matter of trust, of looking to Jesus to be saved, acknowledging that we can't save ourselves, right? Can I repeat that? We can't save ourselves. That is a matter of trust to look to him. I mean, think about the Israelites in the wilderness getting bitten by, by poisonous snakes. It would not have mattered one bit if, if Moses put that snake on a pole, if none of them actually looked up and trusted that God would bring their healing. It requires trust that God is going to work. They had to look up. They had to look up. And I'm telling you right now, if we are living in the haze of self, if we are just zombies following our own whims, if we're always just doing whatever seems right or feels right in our own eyes, whatever feels good, if we are perishing, then we have got to stop and we've got to look up and trust, to look up and see Jesus who was lifted up for you and for me. We've got to start fresh. We've got to be reborn. We've got to surrender our lives to him, to release control and belief and trust that our Savior holds the key to the life we are meant to have. True life requires a new beginning. That new beginning requires belief and belief. It requires surrender. You've got to surrender. Look up. Look up and give up control. Right now, what I want to do is I want to speak to those of you who don't yet believe in Jesus, who don't yet trust in Jesus. You have not yet given up control of your life to him. 
Or I want to also speak to those of you who maybe you do believe in your head, right? You've made a, 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 you're at church or you're whatever, you're a Christian, but you are still the one who's calling the shots in your life. Okay, if that's you, if either one of those is you, if you're still chugging Mountain Dew and driving home at dawn, or whatever that looks like for you, right? Whatever your Andy's house is. If you don't trust in Jesus, or if you do, you believe, but you don't yet live it, listen up, because I want to talk directly to you. I bet if you are honest, you would acknowledge that there are times where you say there has got to be more to life than this, right? Where it feels like, like you're, you are that moldy loaf of bread, your wasted potential. Why am I even here? I'm sure you think that from time to time. Maybe it's because you feel a load of shame about who you are or what you've done, right? You, you feel like you, you, you don't deserve anything better. Maybe that's how you feel. Like this is the life you deserve. If that's you, if any of that is you, I want to remind you of what Jesus says in verse 17. God sent his son into the world not to judge the world, but to save the world through him. God doesn't hate you. God doesn't condemn you. He loves you. He loves you. He's lifting up his own son so that you can look to him and find life. He's saying, yes, there is more to life than this. You were made for more. And he's asking you to look up, to look up. Will you surrender to his vision for your life? Will you stop pretending that you're going to find what you're looking for at Andy's house? Will you be born again? And start living the life that you were made to have. True life, true life requires a new beginning. That new beginning requires belief, but belief, guys, it requires surrender. It requires surrender. Look up at the Son of Man, lift it up for you, and release control. That is when you will truly come alive. I want to make an offer to you. If any of that speaks to you and you feel like, yeah, I want to talk some more about that, or I want to hear some more about that, or I, I, I just want to understand more, if that's you and you want to take that next step, after this service, I'm going to be right down in the front here. I want to talk to you. I'm just going to stay in here, and I've got a book for you. It's a book called Ruthless Trust. It's a great book. I'm sure some of you guys have read it. I've got this book for you. I've got several copies. I want to give it to you so that you can begin thinking about what a release of control might look like for you. If you're online and you're not in the room, email me. Email me, and we'll start a conversation. Barry R. at gracechurch.us. I want to give you a book, too. If you're ready to talk about what that that new life might look like, or how you release control, I want to help take that next step with you, okay? But for now, I'm going to pray for you, for all of you, and for myself as we, as we trust in the, in the Savior who was lifted up. So let's pray together. Father God, it is a shocking thing 
that you would love us so much that you'd give your own son for us. But Father, I'm, I'm just going to trust that when you say that that's how you feel about us, that you're not, you're not pulling our leg. You genuinely love us enough to not, not want us to perish, but to have the life of the age to come. And so, Father, my prayer is that for every one of us, even those of us who've been walking with Christ for decades, I pray that we would all be reminded of what true life could be for us and that we would all give up control to you because we trust that you know best what we were made for. And Father, for anyone who, who is maybe feeling that, that tug to have that conversation that wants to, uh, wants to take that next step, Father, I pray that you would release any fear or any shame and allow them to start taking that, that next step. Whether they're going to talk to me or email me or, or even just in their own lives, begin the conversation with those they love. Would you give them the courage to say yes and to not just go back into the haze? Father, we pray these things. We trust in you and what you've done. And we pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thanks for watching, but don't stop there. We want you to find community at Grace Church. And the first step in doing that is going to gracechurch.us slash hub. There you'll find other sermons, details about upcoming events, and other important announcements. And make sure you subscribe to our channel so you don't miss out when we post something new. Thanks again for watching. We'll see you next time.